0: Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together with Bruce, we have written three dozen cookbooks, including the latest, The Look and Cook Air Fryer Bible, out this fall. You can pre-order it on all the big sites, Barnes & Noble, that big Amazon thing that exists, (laughs) all of the sites, or from your local bookstore, you can pre-order it. It has 125 air fryer recipes, but more importantly, 704 photographs. Oh, my God. Every step of every recipe, so you will get it right every time. And you can watch Bruce literally cook. It's him doing it. He's standing there. uh, It's his hands. It's him doing it in front of our counter in our very kitchen. Mm-hmm. Making... you want to know what
1: our kitchen looks like, get a
0: book. <laughs> Each of the recipes on, on our dishes, in fact. So, I mean, this is really done. It was done with a professional photographer. It, he did a great job, as Eric always does, did a great job on the book. But shout out to Eric Metzger. You should follow him on Instagram. His feed is wonderful, beautiful food shots. But you should be- follow us
1: on Instagram, too. Well,
0: yeah, of course. <laughs> but beyond that, 704 <laughs> photographs. Look and Cook Air Fryer Bible available for pre-order now. But we're not talking about air fryers necessarily mm. in this podcast. We're going to talk about why people don't cook, the number one reason why people don't cook cook anymore it's an intriguing reason we have of course our one minute cooking tip bruce has an interview with Yuan Liu, the author of vegetarian vietnamese which i'm very excited about mm. and we're gonna talk about what's making us happy and food this week
1: People don't cook, for the most part, because they're afraid of failing. That's it. People watch social media. They see these beautiful videos, and they feel
0: bad about themselves because they can't make it look that way. I watch a lot. As you can imagine, I have a TikTok channel, Cookbook Mark, and I watch a lot of cooking videos. Of course, my very handle, Cookbook Mark, is going to give me a lot of cooking content. So on TikTok, I see a lot of stuff. And what I see is either unbelievably gross stuff like oh I, I'm gross. like beyond gross yeah I, I don't want to impugn anyone's taste but for me this is the <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of food I grew up with, and I just can't deal with a block of Helvita and three cans of cream of celery soup and a pound of ground beef, and that's called dinner. So I see a lot of gross stuff, but the other thing I see is a lot of unbelievably aspirational mm-hmm. stuff. I, there's this French baker that I see all the time, and he's – well, he's very sexy, but he makes the most – unbelievable pastries. He's always got like a, you know, 20 kilo bag of flour over his shoulder, and he's pouring it from his shoulder onto this beautiful marble counter, and it's so aspirational. Even I, and having written all these cookbooks, even I look at it and go, oh my gosh, I could never do that. You know, 14-hour lamination process to make this croissant, and it, I mean, it's beautiful to watch him do it, Mm -hmm. but it's so daunting. So you look at that, and you think, oh, I could never do that. And then you try to cook,
1: and it gets messed up. So it's interesting. There is uh, the seafood company, CPAC, S-E-A-P-A-K. They sell frozen fish. And they commissioned a poll from one poll. And they did a survey. And it was really interesting because now, of course, they want to find reasons to convince people to buy frozen seafood as their food. But what came out of this poll is very useful for everybody in the industry to know. 64% 64% of people asked said they've had at least one major mishap in their kitchen.
0: Uh, I have. No, I have. I. Have. I- in and fact, I'm a professional, too, and I am. Me too. I made a big – But Bruce had a rehearsal with this – you've heard me talk about this – with this Baroque group these things with. He had an all-day rehearsal. I said, I'll make dinner that night. I made a big pot of Marcella Hazan's bolognese, which I used to have the recipe 100% memorized. Oh, I used to make this delicious. all the time. God, um, it, And it's one of these five-hour bolognese recipes. It's insane. So basically all day. But I made chickpea pasta to go with it, chickpea spaghetti. And I – undercooked the spaghetti. The spaghetti, I wouldn't say it's a major fail. I mean, we, ate, we had friends over and we ate it. But the spaghetti was not completely tender. So I guess that's a bit of a fail. Well,
1: it was a fail. But almost a third of the people surveyed said because of these fails, they feel hopeless when yeah, it comes to it. And that's bad. really sad. I find that sad. And what were the things that happened? Well, burning food was the top of the chart. Right? So you burn, and we've all burned something, followed by, and I love this one, burning a pot.
0: Okay. Yeah, you can't say anything. Oh, no, that was a long time Sp- ago. <laughs> in mean, New York once, we put a pot on the stove when we lived in Manhattan. We put to, a pot on the Of water to boil it to make iced tea or something. I think so. I don't remember exactly what. And we went away- To the theater. For hours. <laughs> to the theater. And came home, and there was this really wild metallic smell in the apartment. And we walked <laughs> into the kitchen, and there was this pot- Go- Oh, my God. It's amazing the whole 17-story building burned to the ground. And, um, you know, basically we ran water over it, but the pot was completely The
1: pot was gone. And in this survey, 3 in 10 people, so just under a third, who cook say they are embarrassed by their cooking. And this is... Really, really very
0: sad. I think this speaks so much to UK, US, Canadian uh, culture. I think it speaks to European culture, probably to other places as well, but I'm not as familiar with that culture. This is just an endemic problem. People think that they're not doing it right and they're going to be embarrassed. It's so interesting. We've moved away from Victorian morality, away from Victorian sexuality, away from all this very traditional shame-based morality Mm -hmm. that I grew up in, in the American South. And yet people are still embarrassed. Embarrassed by something as silly as cooking. And of course, as I said, this
1: was a frozen seafood company that did this, you know, that sponsored the survey. And they want to come out of this saying, oh, look, we should be really pushing our food. And so if you're embarrassed by that, don't cook. You should buy our seafood and serve that for dinner. That's not an answer for every day. No, and, and there was good news that came out of the survey. Yeah,
0: seventy percent of the people in the survey actually uh, watch cooking tutorials, and I can That's say that we know this. But Bruce does classes for Butcher Box, which is a drop shipment meat company organic f- grass fed. The subscription meat service. Yeah. And he does cooking classes for them and they are always packed to the gills with people a watching. Thousands register for my online right. classes. And we do classes for Milk Street. In fact, we have an air fryer class coming up. We do. Um, it's, a, it's a very limited enrollment, I think just down to 25 or 25 something. 25 people.
1: And by the way, if you're interested, you can go to Milk Street, look at their workshops, you'll find I'm Bruce and Mark with a level 201, more advanced air frying class. Use the code AIRFRY15. If there are still spaces available, you'll get a discount.
0: Yeah, I have to tell you, the last time I looked, there was one space available. So, well, all right. uh, So you know, right I, I don't know. But <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. the last time we did an air frying class was to open to more general people at at Milk Street, and it, I think they limited it to 300 or 350. Mm-hmm. It, it was gone. It, it was gone. totally filled up. So people are clearly liking online cooking tutorials. And uh, this is, we know this from our into the business. 61% of the people in the survey reported finding new recipes from cookbooks. Oh, thank goodness. I have to tell you, (laughs) if you don't know, cookbook sales are up across the board in the industry. And hardcover cookbook sales are up the most, which is really fascinating. So what we
1: want to do now is give you some tips to avoid some of those really common mistakes so that you don't feel bad about your cooking, so that you don't get embarrassed, so that you'll continue to do it, and you won't just eat frozen seafood all the time. So one of the big mistakes that came out in the survey is people said they forgot a crucial ingredient. So how do you avoid that? Well, mise en place is a way. What does that mean? Set up all your ingredients before you start cooking. Chop your onions, chop your celery. Don't start sautéing, and then the next thing is add your two pounds of cubed beef, and then you're going to first go to the refrigerator and take it out. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: so uh, at this concert dinner that I gave, which I'm sure you've heard about on this podcast for Bruce's Baroque Group. I made three Instant Pot chilies. There's three recipes from our book, the Instant Pot Bible. I made a vegan chili. I made a ba- – get this – a bacon and bean chili. It was so good. And then I made this firehouse chili, which is made with fresh tomatoes, mm. not canned tomatoes. Yep. And it's – not firehouse because it's hot. Firehouse mm. like what you would make in a fire station. Um, and I made all of these three chilies, But I spent the morning – laying all my ingredients out on sheet pans. They're all ready
1: to go. So So that when
0: the Instant Pots were ready to go, because he's he's cooked in like 10 minutes, when the Instant Pots are ready to go, I can just dump things in in the order that they went in. In traditional French cooking, and when you go to chef school, that's
1: called mise en place, putting everything in its place. That will keep you from forgetting an ingredient because you'll be looking at all your ingredients before you start and you'll know. Okay, one of the other things that people said they
0: did all the time was mixing up salt and sugar. Bruce has one answer, I have a different answer. My answer is I have never, ever, ever kept sugar out on the counter for this very Mm. reason. Sugar is in a pantry or in a cupboard, not on the counter. I know a lot of people put things out on the counters like their flour and their sugar and all that stuff. If the sugar is – if you have to go get the sugar, if the sugar is not instantly visible, you are less likely to accidentally <laughs> use it instead of salt.
1: Well, the other thing you could do is label it, you know. again I have no problem putting a tiny little sticky note that says salt or sugar. If you're not sure, taste it. Just put a little bit in your tongue. You'll know. But putting salt in your coffee instead of sugar is
0: really not a cool thing. And Although the kids are putting – salt in the espresso grounds right and they're it, also
1: putting brown sugar i don't get that but i don't get that, that either comes up the machine
0: but they're putting like three or four grains right. of malden right. salt on top of the espresso grounds before they pull it
1: okay but you don't want to mix it up and put sugar in no. your risotto i mean no. that's so taste it or label it and that is a really really good way and there's one other thing
0: uh, people often use the wrong piece of equipment. No mm-hmm. oh, recipe for failure! And it is a recipe for failure. And really, honestly, uh, the uh, one p- part of the answer here is that you have to find recipes that use the equipment that you have. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and you also should consider buying. Uh, I don't know a rubber spatula and a wooden spoon. Because mm-hmm. uh, they
1: each have different uses. They do. And one will scrape the bottom of a pot while you're cooking a sauce or boiling milk. One won't. One will allow things to burn. One will make it more even. Right. So it's really important. I know right. we've all made ramen in a coffee pot, in a drip coffee maker. Right. Not really made for that, but okay, don't try and, like, roast a chicken in there. It's just not going to work.
0: Yeah, I've seen a lot of TikTok videos. I'm back to that again. People putting steaks in toasters. Oh, and I'm yeah. Always no, like, that's the... That's just first of all the bottom of the toaster is going to be a greasy <laughs> mess. I mean I see I'll, a
1: fire happening.
0: I want to know what the bottom where it collects the crumbs what does that look like down there? You don't want to know. Who cleans that out? And who and clean
1: nobody cleans.
0: And the toasters are tight so who gets in there and cleans the coils and does your piece of toast that you make then taste like a steak, the well, next that's one? that's a good
1: part. No. Until that fat's rancid in a week. No, that's really, no, use the proper equipment. You won't have fails. We want you to succeed in the kitchen. We want you to be proud of your cooking. We think it's really important to keep cooking, both for your health and for your mental well-being, and to share food with people, and you can't do that
0: if you don't cook. And I want to say one last thing before we jump to our next segment. Bruce has a rule about cooking, and this, I've always Uh-oh. thought, was a great rule. uh that. uh that is don't don't be embarrassed <laughs> and here's the other thing Always have a dozen eggs. Oh yeah, I love that rule. When you have people over, and what does that mean? That means if you really screw it up and you really make a mess out of, I don't know, manicotti or whatever you're serving for dinner, you can always scramble eggs and serve it with toast and say, "Sorry, dinner was a wreck." And here we are. And you know what? A bottle of red wine and scrambled eggs and toast is a delicious dinner. That uh, that all makes for a great dinner.
1: Mm-hmm. Or an omelet oh my goodness, to make a little cheese omelet if you screw up the roast, why not? Yeah, why not?
0: So, listen, always have a dozen eggs on hand and don't be embarrassed. Okay, (laughs) before we get to our next segment, our one-minute cooking tip, let me say that we have a newsletter and it is going out and it is not content related to this podcast but different, well, sometimes a little tangentially related but not really. Um, It's going out and you can sign up for that by going to our website, brusamark.com. On there is a sign-up form for the newsletter. um, Ana, I want to say that while I see people signing up, I can see numbers of people signing up. I cannot see your name or your email address, nor can I capture it, nor can I sell it, nor can the service I use capture it or sell it. I've got all the privacy locked on it, and you can always unsubscribe to that newsletter at any moment with unsubscribe buttons that I make sure appear at the bottom of every newsletter because I hate getting crap in my inbox too. So, if you'd like to get our newsletter, go to bruceandmark.com and sign up there. Okay, up next, as is traditional, our one-minute cooking tip. Dump your metal pie tins and get
1: yourself a clear glass Pyrex yes, pie plate, absolutely. you will be able to see the crust browning through it. You'll know when it's done. No more soggy crust. Timings in recipes are just a guide, right? They're never exact because my stove is not the same as your stove. So using a glass Pyrex clear pie plate will allow pie you to see. plate, not Cake pan, not
0: 9 by 13 pan. This is pie. We're talking about pies
1: because you want to see how brown they're getting. No more soggy bottoms.
0: Also, if you're upping your uh, Asian cooking, and Bruce is about to have an interview with an Asian cookbook author, Mm. if you're upping your Asian cooking, A Pyrex pie plate is a much better vehicle for putting in a steamer. Mm -hmm. If you're making, uh, let's say, some dish that requires it to be steamed in a vessel. Riblets and black bean sauce. Yeah, because you can Mm -hmm. see up into it and Mm -hmm. see how it's cooking from the bottom when you place it on the steamer basket in the wok. So Mm -hmm. Pyrex pie plates, yes, please. Up next... Bruce's interview with Yuan Lu, the author of Vegetarian Vietnamese, a brand new cookbook and one that seems to me to be such a fantastic idea.
1: Today, we're speaking with Yuan Lu, a food photographer and cookbook author born in Saigon, but raised in London, where she lives now. And her latest book is beautiful, delicious recipes called Vietnamese Vegetarian. Welcome, Yuan.
2: Hi Bruce. Nice to meet you.
1: So while vegetables are a huge component of traditional Vietnamese cooking, you start your book off with a confession that you are not a vegetarian. So what made you want to write this book?
2: Well, I am a part-time vegetarian. I eat a lot of vegetarian meals and I when when I go shopping, my bag is full of vegetables and um, I've been brought up by my mum and the rest of my family to absolutely love vegetables. And anyway, it is such a huge part of the Vietnamese cuisine. They never claim to be vegetarians, but they eat 70% vegetables and only 20% protein. So I thought I would um, write a book based around plants and eating more kindly. It was more about being conscious to the environment and um, seeing where we can do without meat and still enjoy the beautiful flavors of the cuisine.
1: Well, your book starts off with The best food ever to come out of Southeast Asia. Chewy tapioca skin dumplings and luscious sweet potato and chestnut wontons. Do you have any advice for people who are too afraid to try and make their own dumplings at home?
2: Well, I reckon that if you decide that you want to make dumplings at home and you've never done it, that you have a free afternoon and you do it with a friend and you just have a go there are so many tutorials online as well that you can look at if you're not sure about pleating just you know just be mindful that maybe the first five or so aren't going to be great, but you'll get the hang of it. They're just, just so easy. I mean, kids are brought up folding dumplings and it's it's just not as frightening as it seems because it's it's just a little bit of dough and you, you know, it's like Play-Doh. So it's very easy once you get into it. You
1: also have an ingenious appetizer recipe in your book that uses dried tofu skin knots. Now, I've seen these in Asian markets all the time and I don't usually know what to do with them. Why don't you explain what they are and how you use them in the book with this incredibly sounding recipe?
2: So they're basically tofu sheets that are pressed together. They're tied into a knot and then they're dried. So you use them as a protein replacement. So instead of like chicken or meat, you know, in lots of things like braising dishes or stews, people would add them in with the meat um, for the additional texture or they would use it to replace the meat and it's um it's you know it, it's uh, full of protein as well and it's really delicious it's got that lovely bite so I use them like to replace chicken wings and tofu knots kind of look like chicken wings as well I coat it in flour and it's deep fried and it's with this lovely sauce and it's it's just it is really really delicious Not, I'm, I'm upping myself <laughs> because it's my <laughs> recipe, but um, I always win friends of that recipe. It
1: is so creative. I have never seen tofu skin not deep fried like that. And that just seems like the most perfect vegetarian version of chicken wings. I think you were brilliant yeah. with that usage of that ingredient. Thank you. Is tofu a widely used ingredient in traditional Vietnamese cooking? And if so... Are there many varieties of tofu?
2: Yes. Um, it's used all the time in Vietnamese cooking. And on a Vietnamese dinner table, you know, as well as your fish or your meat or whatever, there's always at least one tofu dish, like the lemongrass tofu or um tomatoes with tofu. You know, tofu that's fried tofu, that's deep fried, you know, it's cooked in like loads of ways, like braising. It's always paired with plenty of vegetables. Although it's vegetarian, people don't consider it, oh, uh, um, you know, this is a vegetarian dish and I'm only going to make it if someone who is a vegetarian is coming around. It's made, you know, every day. So there's like tofu puffs that you can get. And those tofu knots, I said, there's also tofu skins, just the regular tofu blocks in different various forms of um, texture, like silken, soft medium firm, firm, extra firm. We tend to like the sort of the medium firm range because it's it's not so chewy and it soaks up all the flavors of all the tasty sauces and and broths and what have you.
1: You just brought up a dish, uh, tofu with tomatoes. So I want to talk about that for a second because I was surprised going through your book to see a lot of tomatoes in recipes. From eggs, stir fried with tomatoes to stuffed and roasted tomatoes, which look absolutely mouthwatering. And as you mentioned, the tofu with tomatoes and you have spinach and basil in that. Are these recipes in your book geared to a Western palate or are tomatoes very popular in Southeast Asia? No,
2: I didn't gear them to the Western palate. Tomatoes are common and are used every day. But unlike um Western recipes, you know, tomato is never blitzed, it's never blended, and it's never made into a sauce really. It's always used as a whole vegetable or fruit, like in a soup, for instance, it's cut largely so that you can chew it Vietnamese people people love texture and chewing things so they never really like things to be blended down um so in in all the recipes they'll they'll hugely be whole so for instance the tomato and tofu recipe is really traditional that's that's had at least twice a week in my family but things like the stuffed tomatoes so I've stuffed it with mushrooms and tofu But traditionally, people would stuff it with um, mince pork and prawns and mushrooms. So I've just adapted, you know, the very traditional recipes to be vegetarian.
1: How do you cook vegetarian Vietnamese food without fish sauce? How is that even done? (laughs)
2: That was a huge challenge that I brought on myself because I use fish sauce with everything. um, It's a staple. So instead of salt, Vietnamese people would use fish sauce. I'm so happy that I um, wrote this book because I found so many replacements for fish sauce. And one of my favorite things is fermented tofu. Mm -hmm. So you can buy them in jars. And they've been fermented, which is like extra goodness for you. Um, but they taste quite punchy and um, fishy. So that's a really good replacement. It's like, It has so much umami flavors. And um, there's a great... I don't know if you have it in the US, but we have a, a seasoning called Yondu. And it's a entirely vegetable umami seasoning. It's like a soy sauce, but much nicer than a soy sauce. And it, it also has that funk where it's it's fermented so it tastes slightly fishy <laughs> and of course you can use soy sauce and there are so many condiments on the market that are geared towards uh, vegetarianism and going back to the tomato question it's so interesting because the Italians when they were they fell upon tomatoes they were really suspicious of it i think because it's a nightshade Um, and thought that it would poison everybody. And it was the same with the Chinese when it was brought over. And one of the first dishes that tomatoes were used in, interestingly enough, is the scrambled eggs with the tomatoes, which is what I have in the book. (laughs) So that must have come um, down from China to Vietnam.
1: Interesting. And I love that you have a whole chapter in Vietnamese vegetarian on noodles. You cover everything from chewy and bouncy sweet potato starch noodles with roasted fennel and cabbage oh, that sounds so good mm-hmm. to crispy noodles with all the broccoli so i love the idea of noodles fried into a crispy base for all sorts of toppings in this case all the broccoli. Can you explain that dish to
2: me? <laughs> so the noodles, they're fresh noodles, which you can buy from the shop or if you, you were to make noodles. So if you were to make them, if if you know about making pasta and noodles and things, you, you, you have to dry them. So the same goes for me when I buy um, fresh noodles from the, from the shop. I spread them out onto a tray and I let them have half a day to dry on one side and half a day to dry on the other side. Mm-hmm. And at that stage, I can keep them in an airtight box and I can keep them for a couple of months and I don't have to eat them fresh. But in this case where I'm frying, deep frying the noodles after they've been drying for like a day or or half a day or whatever, then I blanch them very quickly, not to cook them, but just to moisten them and then dry them very well and then throw them in a deep fat fryer. At that stage, I use cooking chopsticks to spread them out. So it's like a nest. And then you just ship them out after like a minute or two. And they they puff up as well, which adds to the gorgeousness. And in the meantime, uh, I love broccoli. So I love using the broccoli leaves, tender stem broccoli or just regular broccoli. Yeah, so this is um traditionally had with loads of vegetables stir-fried with beef, but here we're just using like broccoli and, and um the the secret is to make the stir-fry very juicy because once it's laid onto the nest, it sort of soaks the noodles, so you have some bits that are really crispy and crunchy and some bits that are getting soft and you sort of mix it all up and enjoy all the different textures.
1: I want to ask you about making rice noodles at home. You have a delicious looking recipe called asparagus rice noodle rolls with mushrooms and pumpkin. And I've always seen rice noodle rolls steamed, but you offer up a much easier way to make them. Tell me about it.
2: Yes, that's because um, they're called bánh cuốn in Vietnamese, by the way. I went to Vietnam a few years ago and um, my aunt makes them for breakfast. So she sells them on the street and she taught me how to make them on the drum. But the thing is, her husband built the drum, which is like a canvas over like a steaming pot, and then there's charcoal underneath, and the steam is just magnificent. And then coming back to UK, I couldn't. I mean, I found a you know the maker, but the the canvas was just no good because you can't ever stretch it properly, so it always sank and uh, was like a valley down the middle, which means you you can't ship out the noodle. So I just made the batter, and I just thought I'm just gonna fry it and see what happens, and it really, really works well. You know, if if you're in fear of noodles and these rolls look really intimidating because they're a roll, it's actually just a pancake. And then you just put a little bit of filling in the middle and then you roll it up. And it's it's super easy.
1: Well, doing it in a skillet sounds super easy. And I think it's hard enough for people to wrap their head around working with unusual flowers, rice flours and tapioca starch and all that. So putting it into a skillet makes it so much easier. Yeah. And I, I have to talk about soup because you can't discuss Vietnamese food without talking about pho. So... What's the difference between pho and regular noodle soup?
2: So it's kind of like, what's the difference between marinara sauce and carbonara sauce? It's like that. It's same but different. So pho is a a unique recipe where it uses thaw and cinnamon, um, coriander seeds and um, maybe fennel seeds and black cardamom and it, so it creates this lovely broth with all of those spices you can either do a vegetarian one a chicken one or a beef one and the main ingredient as well that goes in every single one of those um is a burnt or charred onion and charred mm-hmm. ginger so this is what makes pho and it's also consumed with flat rice noodles mm-hmm. whereas if we look at the mushroom um soup or um, a soup with vermicelli noodles they're just like basically different broths and is therefore not fur. so that's the difference
1: well let's talk about that mushroom noodle soup because the photo of that is so gorgeous and it's an easy It really looks like an easy soup you use dried mushrooms you use dried ramen noodles. But are there any tips for buying dried mushrooms? Like what should we look for? And what should we avoid?
2: It depends on how rich you like your mushroom soup to taste. If you buy like dried wild mushrooms, they tend to be um, slight, the flavor is milder. And if you get shiitake mushrooms, they taste like quite Asian and it has a stronger flavor. But I also noticed that the tiny little shiitake mushrooms taste stronger than the bigger shiitake mushrooms. (laughs) (laughs) So if you really love your mushrooms, you can get to know them. But then, you know, I wouldn't use porcini mushrooms as much in this soup. But if I I had it hanging around, I could, you know, do a mix and just Mm -hmm. put it all in. Or I wouldn't use... um, what it, what it morel mushrooms? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's just gonna be too rich. And um, and also the secret is to use some of that delicious um mushroom juice that you get from rehydrating them.
1: You and Lou, wow, your book, Vietnamese Vegetarian, is full of amazingly gorgeous and delicious recipes. Most of them don't look terribly hard. Thank you for your book, Vietnamese Vegetarian, and for spending some time talking about your cooking with us today.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I wish that we didn't live so rurally. I wish that I could get vegetarian Vietnamese. I guess you have to make it for me. I do, but
1: to be honest, even where we live, it's very difficult to find ingredients because the thing about Vietnamese food in general, it's very heavily produce-based. Herbs and greens and grassy things and leafy things and all these very ubiquitous stuff when you live in Vietnam. But even if you're in a big city, you could find them. Where we live, I can't find certain there's things. A, there's
0: a failed mill town just mm, about 15 minutes from our house. And it you know used to be a big New England mill town. And now, unfortunately, it's collapsed, unfortunately. Uh, and a Vietnamese family has come in, and they bought the Bowling alley. It's, they did. What it's kind of bowling alley? Duck alley? pin bowling. Duck pin. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> duck pin bowling alley. This is how rural we are. <laughs> duck pin bowling. What the heck? So they bought the bowling alley and they've opened a bubble tea shop and mm. they've tried to open a pho well, restaurant they did the pho
1: and i believe they also have a nail salon oh gosh
0: of course so <laughs> but uh, you know they've tried this and i always wonder how in the world they think in this very depressed milltown are they going to sell pho and bubble tea but again they keep expanding the bubble tea place just opened a Clearly, few weeks ago people
1: like bubble tea uh,
0: i guess They go across
1: the street they see the line across the street at dairy
0: queen and they go nope I'll get a bubble tea. That must be. I mean, listen, this is a town that is so depressed that even Wendy's closed. So it's not. we're not talking, though we do have two Dunkin' Donuts, but Wendy's closed. So I, it's not a big thing. And yet, again, bubble tea. bubble tea, they're making it. Before we get to our last segment of the podcast, let me say it would be great if you could rate this podcast. If you could drop down on an Apple or Google menu or any platform you're on, you'll find a way to give it stars. Five. Five would be great. And if you could, six is even better, <laughs> they don't really offer six. And if you could write a review, that would be fabulous because again, that is the only way that this podcast can be supported because otherwise we take no support for the podcast so that we can say anything we damn well please. Um, up <laughs> next, our typical last segment, What's making us Happy in food this week. So tapioca dumplings from Ewan's book,
1: Vegetarian Vietnamese.
0: Bruce has made these several oh, times now.
1: So I've made a lot of Hargao in my life, you know, the clear wrappers filled with shrimp. But these are different. These Vietnamese tapioca skins are made with just two ingredients, tapioca starch and boiling water. And you have to knead it from the boiling water. So it's really hard in the hand. So I put gloves on. I put surgical gloves on. Helps take away some of that heat. And you knead it and you fill it with an herb and nut. And I used a soy protein, which you don't have to use. You can use just all vegetables. And you Boil them instead of steaming them, and they're chewy, and they're clear, and they're-, they're Very chewy. It's imagine you very take very sticky. Yeah, imagine those bubble teas coming out of the bottom of the thing, being smushed into a wrapper. Oh, my God, I love
0: that. They're stuff. A, a wild thing. Now, let me say that this is labor-intensive <laughs> work, so this lazy boy wouldn't ever do such a thing, but Bruce is made are you lucky to have a husband who well, make it for I, you? I do, and in fact, I'm lucky that when I just came home from visiting my mom in St. Louis and my brother and- Being out there and taking mom to a million doctor's appointments. I don't know, shoes. And we had to go to Ulta and buy makeup. And we just had to do a million things uh, because mom needs help doing these things. So we did them. And I came home, and I was a bit exhausted, even though my flights were all perfect to get me back home. Uh, I was still a bit exhausted. And, you know, again, rural living, so we are hours from an airport. So I had to drive back home. And when I got home, Bruce had made me something that I asked for. He made me Japanese katsu curry, Mm. which is a – pork. In this case, it was pork. Bruce air-fried that pork cutlet. and pounded them down and coated them in panko. Yeah, usually they're deep-fried, and and I'm glad he air-fried it because it was healthier for me. And he made a couple of vinegary salads, some cabbage and some daikon, right? Mm -hmm. served it over rice, the cutlet, with a fried egg on top, and then you make this curry kate, this curry sauce and what'd you put in it onions, onions and water chestnuts and water chestnuts in the thick spicy curry that I ladled over the whole plate it's oh, it's, it's so kind of prototypical japanese comfort mm-hmm. food prototypical japanese kid food mm-hmm. like after school food <laughs> thing like mac and like like it was craft your, mac and cheese in oh, the united great. states You're 7
1: seven thousand calorie after school snack <laughs> yes
0: exactly <laughs> but it was still so comforting a big bowl of this in new england it's just getting into the time where we can open our doors it's still chilly at night but we can just now start to open our doors and let the fresh air in where the doors open it was a little cold inside the house and let me tell you, I stay with my mom in a guest apartment at the retirement place where she lives, and it is never cold there. It's mm-hmm. always 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit with a mile from the sun because oh. the old people are always cold. So I stay in a, a guest suite there, and I'm burning up the whole time I'm there. <laughs> but um, it was nice to have the doors open and have Japanese katsukuri that's our podcast for this week thanks for being a part of it we really appreciate it there are so many podcasts out there we really appreciate your spending time with us thank you for being on this food and cooking journey with us we hope we've given you a good time and given you some tips about food and cooking that you can take away and make for yourself make useful for yourself and we hope to see you back next week and for more tips, more photos, more food, more conversation, join our
1: group, Cooking with Bruce and Mark, on Facebook, where I will post these podcast episodes. I post videos. And I let me tell you that those
0: videos also go up on TikTok they under do. a channel called Cooking with Bruce and Mark.
1: Yep. As well as our YouTube channel, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. See, there you go. it's all a big thing you can't forget. And you'll be back again for another episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark.